Guardian Unlimited. Order. Question to the Prime Minister. Stephen Club. Number one, sir. Mr. Speaker, before listing my engagements, I'm sure the whole House will join me in sending our profound condolences to the families and friends of Corporal Darrell Gardner of the Royal and Mechanical Engineers, who was killed in Afghanistan on Sunday. His death reaffirms our deep gratitude to those who have lost their lives in the service of our country. Our thoughts, Mr. Speaker, are also with Corporal Gardner's five colleagues who were injured in the attack. Mr. Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in the House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Stephen Club. Mr. Speaker, I, I join the, the Prime Minister in paying tribute to Corporal Darrell Gardner. Could the Prime Minister please tell us what exactly is happening on Britain's streets when the Home Secretary needs an armed police escort to go and buy a kebab? <laughs> I want, Mr. Speaker, I want everybody in Britain to be safe and feel safe in our streets. I want everybody to feel safe in our streets. Crime is down 32% since 1997. Violent crime is down 31% since 1997. There are more police than ever in our country, and we will do everything in our power to ensure the safety of our citizens. Uh, uh, Mr Speaker, my question to my right honourable friend is about flood defences. If a community has been flooded, then the next time there's every rainfall, there is great fear and anxiety in that community. And that happened in Carlisle on Monday. We have good, good flood defences in part of the city, and we will have extra flood defences in the other. But it's a question of what is happening nationally. Last, last year we've had tremendous downpour, downpours. The, the fact is the government has increased funding massively, but it won't be enough. Can we have an assurance from the Prime Minister he'll look for other funding sources from the insurance companies and local authorities? And will he review? Speaker, I, I sympathise with his constituents who are facing floods and all those in all areas of the country where floods have hit them. Uh, since the summer floods, we have undertaken a review of our policies under Sir Michael Pitt. We will implement all his recommendations. But can I say to him that the expenditure on flood defences, which was 300 million in 1997, is 600 million now, will rise to 800 million in 2011. That is more than £2 billion to be spent in the next three years on flood defences. And of course, we will consult with local authorities to make sure the money is spent in the best way. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I join the Prime Minister in paying tribute to Corporal Darrell Gardner who was killed in southern Afghanistan on Sunday. He died serving our country. Taxpayers have the right to know what their total exposure is under the Prime Minister's latest plan for Northern Rock. Because let us be clear, this is as much a rescue package for his reputation. So if the bonds aren't paid back, and if Northern Rock fails to meet its obligations, what is the total exposure? How much? The, the, the loans and the bonds are secured against the assets of Northern Rock. Northern Rock has a high-quality loan book, as everybody understands, and it is our intention to get the taxpayer the best deal and to get the taxpayer their money back and to make profit. The Prime Minister won't tell us how much the taxpayer is in for. It is £55 billion. He has effectively lumped every household, every household in this country with a second mortgage. Now, taxpayers want to know how long it's going to be before they're off the hook. So will he answer this? 
How many years will it be before the bonds are repaid? We, we would be the first to be repaid under the scheme. The loans, are secu- the, loans, the loans and the bonds are secured against the assets of Northern Rock. I think uh, he should think very carefully about what he's been saying about Northern Rock. In September, in September, he said he was wholeheartedly behind our proposals to save Northern Rock. Then in the last few weeks, his Shadow Chancellor and he have toyed with nationalisation, administration and a private sale. Is it not about time the opposition was consistent in the thinking about Northern Rock? The Prime Minister talks about changing positions. Last week he was all in favour of nationalisation. He gets a tough time at Prime Minister's questions. He gets on an aeroplane with Richard Branson and he drops the whole plan. The Prime Minister won't tell us how much taxpayers are in for or how long they're going to have to wait to get their money back. It is like a used car salesman who won't tell you the price, won't tell you the mileage, won't give you a warranty. He's gone from prudence to Del Boy without even touching the ground. This, this, deal, this deal depends upon a massive effective subsidy from the British taxpayer to Northern Rock shareholders. That's either in lower borrowing or a guarantee. So can the Prime Minister tell us how much is that taxpayer subsidy? How much? The loans and the uh, bonds are secured against the, the assets of Northern Rock. It's as clear as that. And if I may say so, the reason that we intervened is the reason that we still are intervening, and that is to secure the stability of the economy. I believe all parties in the House should be in favour of ensuring that what happened at Northern Rock does not spread to the rest of the economy. I believe all parties in the House would want to ensure the depositors of Northern Rock and other building societies are protected. But what we are now seeing is the height of opportunism on the part of the Conservative Party. One day they favour nationalisation, another day they favour a private sale, then the Shadow Chancellor says that his favourite option is now administration. Now let me just tell the House what administration means. It means a fire sale of the assets, it means closing down the company, it means the government losing billions of pounds of money, it is the worst possible solution and the Conservatives are not only guilty of inconsistency, they are guilty of putting the stability of the economy at risk. The fact that the Prime Minister won't answer a single question just shows what a dodgy deal this is. He asks about administration. Doesn't he understand that administration and liquidation are different things? Let let me put it this way. Administration is what his government's in at the moment. Liquidation is what's going to happen by the British people at the next election. people hear about this deal, the more they realise it is a complete con. He's taking a lot of debt, packaging them up and selling it off of bonds. This is a sub-prime deal from a sub-prime minister. Let's, Let's see if he can just answer this one simple question. Can the Prime Minister at least tell us, what is the fee being paid to, to Goldman Sachs? It's a matter of the negotiation between the Treasury and Goldman Sachs, and that will be published at the right time. But can I say to the opposition parties, let us look at their policy of administration. Administration means a fire sale of the assets. It means selling off the assets at the bottom of the market and losing billions of pounds of money. The Shadow Chancellor rejected administration in November 
and is now proposing it in January. The opposition's policy is the worst possible policy for dealing with them, and they have flip-flopped between nationalisation, private sales and administration. They have no credibility on the economy, and the reason why we intervened is the reason why people think that the economic record of this government is a good one, that for ten years, for ten years we have preserved the stability of the economy. The figures out today show that growth in Britain is 3.1% last year. It is the highest growth of the G7. We have more people in employment than ever before. We have lower inflation than our major competitors. That is the recipe for moving forward, not the flip-flop policies of the opposition. Prime Minister could talk about low inflation when families filling up at the pumps are paying a pound and seven for a, a litre of petrol. People wonder what planet he's living on. So the Prime Minister won't tell us how much the taxpayer is liable for. He won't tell us how long the taxpayer has got to prop up this business for. He won't tell us what the subsidy is and he won't tell you how, how much he's going to pay to Goldman Sachs. Will he at least say this? In retrospect, does he recognise that it was a complete error of judgement to get on an aeroplane with one of the principal bidders, Richard Branson, and fly around the world? Not not at all. And just remember that the opposition supported our policy in September, October, and for opportunistic reasons have moved against it. Now, let me just just tell him about inflation in the economy. Inflation in Britain is 2%. In the euro area, it's 3%. In America, it is 4%. We have kept inflation low because we've made the difficult decisions that they would never face up to. And as for, and as for the economy, his own adviser, the art spokesman of the Conservative Party, said this only yesterday. In the 90s, what killed people were paying 15% interest rates on their mortgages. That was their government. Now there is no reason for interest rates to go up excessively because we still live in a low inflation economy. That's, that's the Conservative Party spokesman speaking. He should acknowledge that that spokesman is right and he is wrong. What everybody knows is taking one of the principal buyers of the business around the world was bad judgment. This deal is bad judgment. And the worst judgment of all is leaving Britain with the highest budget deficit in Europe at a time of economic difficulty. This Prime Minister is now synonymous with delay and dithering. And isn't this Northern Rock deal just damaging, dodgy, extra debt from a failed Prime Minister? It, it is not bad judgment to take British businessmen and British businesswomen. There are Let the Prime Minister answer. Prime Minister. Order. It is not bad judgment to take British business. It is not bad judgment to take British businessmen and women to win orders for British exports in China and India, and I have no apology to make for that. As far as, far, as, far as his policies are concerned, it, it, we get from him merely slogans and no substance whatsoever. And if I may, if I may say so, the record of this government, as he will find when he goes to Davos this week, is a knowledge round the world. Low inflation, low interest rates, high employment, the best growth of any industrialised country in the last year, and we are determined to maintain the stability of the British economy. It would be put at risk under their policies for instability. We are the party of stability and will always remain so. Thank you, Mr Speaker. In contrast to what we've just heard from the Leader of the Opposition, isn't the truth 
that with all the turbulence in global markets and the impact that can have on people's everyday lives, that the most important thing, especially now, is to continue with this government's measures for economic stability, which have brought us low inflation, low interest rates and high employment, and which are the best way of sustaining economic strength for the future. Mr. Speaker, and only, only, only this morning, only yesterday, the, the former Chancellor of the Exchequer said while acknowledging the difficult conditions of the world economy and the problems of the last few days, he said about Britain, we have maintained a good level of growth last year, the level of employment in the country is quite good, some of our businesses are extremely competitive, the level of earnings remains quite high. Now that is the record acknowledged by the former Chancellor. Is it not about time the Shadow Chancellor and the Leader of the Opposition acknowledge that we are doing the right things by the British economy and in spite of their views we will continue to do so? Mr. Speaker, may I, may I associate myself with the expressions of condolence and sympathy for the friends and family of Corporal Daryl Gardner? Mr. Speaker, as we've heard, the Prime Minister has unveiled this week his cunning plan to nationalise all the risks of Northern Rock but privatise the profits. How can he justify fleecing the taxpayer by handing a blank cheque to the private sector when he knows, unlike the Conservatives, that temporary nationalisation is the right thing to do? Yeah. Mr. Mr Speaker, in the proposals that we put forward, we share in all the benefits as the Northern Rock Company or its successor company does better. And I think you'll see if he looks at the small print of it that we are protecting the interests of the taxpayer in the best way possible. But again, I'm afraid it's very difficult to listen to the Liberal Party on economic policy. Yesterday he spent another £2 billion. A few weeks before he said he had a billion pounds of extra spending commitments he couldn't, he couldn't justify by being able to explain how they'd be spent. None of his policies add up. Is it not time he went back to the drawing board? Mr Speaker, isn't the real truth this? He won't nationalise the bank because he's running scared of the Conservative Party. Let the honourable gentleman speak. No solutions of their own. When will he stop listening to them and do what he knows to be right? Or will he continue to insist that British taxpayers pay through the nose for years to come because of his own lack of leadership? Mr Speaker, can I just say to him in this way? Nationalisation is one of the options that is open to us, as the Chancellor has made clear. Nationalisation, public ownership, but it would be on the road back to private ownership, as the Shadow Chancellor of his party has acknowledged. But we are right to look at every option. If commercial companies come to us and say that they have proposals to run Northern Rock in a better way in the interests of the shareholders and depositors than is being run at the moment, we are like right to look at these proposals. And I think it would be a mistake for us to reject proposals coming from the private sector, as he seems to want to do. All options are on the table. We will do best by the shareholders, the depositors of Northern Rock, and we are determined at all times to maintain the stability of the economy. We have done that for four months after Northern Rock went into difficulties. We have maintained the stability and it is not spread over into other companies and other institutions. We are determined to continue to maintain stability and all our decisions will be based on that basis. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. Can I ask the Prime Minister to focus on the plight of the working poor in this country? 
Is he aware that uh, despite the clear intentions of the customers who leave tips to people in the hotel, restaurant and hospitality industry, that they are not paid in addition to these people's minimum wage, but are paid as part of their minimum wage. And this must be addressed. Will he agree to meet myself and other MPs who have been campaigning on this issue to discuss how his government can at last end this shameful practice? Yeah. Of course I'm, I'm happy to meet him and colleagues to talk about the future of the minimum uh, wage. And of course where tips are paid directly to the employee, they go to the employer. Where they're paid through a visa or through a bill, that is a matter for the employer to negotiate with the employee. I have to say to him, however, that the great success of the minimum wage is that it has risen by 50% since 1999, faster than wages in the economy. The Conservative Party said the minimum wage would cost us 2 million jobs. We have had the minimum wage, we have raised it by 50%, and we've created more than 2 million jobs. Speaker, the Prime Minister just quoted with approval but the reasons I gave yesterday why this year's sharp slowdown in the economy might yet not turn into a recession. Uh, I thank him for that. Could he also agree with my view? <laughs> Does he also agree with my view that he's handed on the public finances to his successor in a quite appalling mess so that fiscal policy cannot be used to help in this situation? that his dithering and incompetence over Northern Rock has added very considerably to the indebtedness that we already have, and that the fiscal rules which he used to rely on when making his claims to economic stability are now quite incredible and are indeed shattered by his own politics. Yeah. Well, well, I, I, I know he's trying to rescue himself with his own party after his unguarded comments yesterday about the success of the British economy. Can I also tell him, can I also tell him as someone who inherited a very difficult economic situation from him in 1997. That we have, we have, we have, we have observed all our fiscal rules. We made the Bank of England independent against his advice. We have had 10 years of growth, which they would never have had. He predicted a recession in 1997. There was no recession. We have maintained stability. He would not have done. Mr. Speaker, the, the latest economic survey for the North East shows high levels of business confidence, and there's no doubt that the region's economy has improved under the stewardship of my right honourable friend, with uh, massive reductions in unemployment and record levels of employment. Much remains to be done, however, to reduce the gap between the North East and other regions. What does my right honourable friend consider to be the greatest threat to continued progress? A world Mr. Speaker, slowdowns. Wait for it, wait for it. Uh, uh, order, uh, order, uh, order, uh, order, order. Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, long-term unemployment in the north has fallen by 70%. Youth unemployment, long-term youth unemployment has fallen by more than 70%. More people are working in the north of England as a result of the policies of this government and that is what we are determined to, to, to maintain. What would put this at risk would be opportunistic policies that risked the public services in favour of 10 billions of tax cuts and meant that we could not spend on health, education and the New Deal for the interests of the people of North. And that's why I urge people to favour our policies against the policies of the opposition. Mark Harper. The Prime Minister was obviously able to answer that question because it was one he wrote earlier. Last week the government announced that Gloucestershire... Last week the government announced... Last week, the government announced that Gloucestershire would be a pilot area for short breaks for disabled children. And my Conservative colleagues on the Council are already working with local parents to develop that. 
He also will know in the comprehensive spending review that he promised that the NHS spending would match that coming from the DCSF. Can he confirm that my local primary care trust will indeed get £3.6 million over the next three years to pay for those short breaks? Mr Speaker, I can confirm that primary care costs will get money to make it possible for there to be breaks uh, for carers of children. Uh, I do uh, agree with him that one of the areas where we have to do more is both in terms of disabled children, where we've had a review, and for the carers of disabled children. I had a seminar with uh, many carers in Leeds uh, only a few days ago, and there is support for more action on respite care, more help for carers' pensions, of course more for the carers' allowance, and more support for carers in all the different needs they have, and we are determined to move that agenda forward, and I hope there will be all-party support for that. Tom Clark. Mr Speaker, following the reply which the Prime Minister has just given, does he agree that following the reviews to this House on disabled children and their families, the £34 million allocated to Scotland should be spent on those services, including the NHS and those alone, as is happening in every other constituent part of the United Kingdom? Mr Speaker, I'm grateful to my right honourable friend who's taken a long-term interest in these matters and piloted through a major bill uh, that was in protection of disabled people. Uh, The money that has been allocated for disabled children and disabled people should go to disabled children and disabled people, and we will do everything in our power to make sure that in every part of the United Kingdom the needs of the disabled are properly recognised. Big hands. Mr Mr. Speaker, with uh, police investigations underway into four projects of the London Development Agency and with millions of pounds of central government money unaccounted for, will the Prime Minister join me and colleagues from across the House in calling for an independent investigation into corruption at the LDA and the role of Mayor Ken Livingstone? That is a a matter for the police, but uh, if we look at... If we, look at, if, we look at, if we look at London, jobs are up in London, police numbers are up in London, crime is down in London, transport is getting more investment, and that's why we need a Labour Mayor. David Crosby, working people in my constituency are just as concerned about their employment prospects uh, as those who come from abroad to work in the UK. So will my... Uh, right honourable friend, protect both British and overseas workers uh, by guaranteeing fair wages and conditions for all. And in the absence of a European directive, will he ensure support for domestic legislation for, that protects uh, agency workers? Yeah. He's absolutely right to raise the question of vulnerable workers in the United Kingdom, either vulnerable workers who have come to the United Kingdom to work or are in the United Kingdom. And that's why we've created a forum to deal with many of these issues. As far as the Agency Workers Directive is concerned, we look forward to there being a European agreement on that. If there is not a European agreement, of course we will look at what we can do domestically to protect workers and to ensure that they have the rights that they should indeed have. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Um, The Prime Minister, um, in an age gone by, might well have been a covenanter. Is he therefore concerned about the breach of the covenant with the military currently, and as we speak, breach of the covenant with the police service of England and Wales. Mr Speaker, the Chief of the General Staff has said that there is no breach, and the reason there is no breach is because we are spending more on defence than ever before. Over the course of the last year, we have made arrangements to give better allowances to those people who are serving our country abroad, 
We are doing everything in our power to make sure they are not only safe and well protected, but given the best allowances and the best accommodation, and we will continue to do everything in our power to protect our military forces. And as far as the police are concerned, there has been a 39% rise in police pay over the last 10 years. I think people do understand that in the fight against inflation, it was necessary to stage public sector pay awards. I would like to have given the police more. I would like to have given the nurses more. I'd like to have given those public sector workers who found their wages staged. I would like to have given them more. But if pay rises are wiped out by ever-rising inflation, then no benefit goes to either the police or to anybody who receives these benefits. I hope that over the course of the next year, we can move to a two- or three-year pay agreement which will give stability and certainty to the police and other public sector workers. We believe they do a great job. The important thing, however, is to recognise that in the fight against inflation, it is necessary to take action at the right time. Others may not take the action we did. Dr. Starkey. Um, if, if Britain is to continue to meet the challenge, if Britain's economy is to continue to meet the challenge of global competitiveness, we need to continue to upskill workers. And in that context, the recent announcement on ELQ funding is welcome uh, recognition that the concerns of the Open University and others have been listened to. What more is the government doing to help mature students and women returners in particular to access higher education? There is no one who's fought harder for the Open University than my honourable friend, and I congratulate her as the MP for Milton Keynes on what she has achieved in fighting for the Open University. We have just allocated £100 million to give grants to 20,000 people to get their first degree. She is absolutely right. There are 2.5 million people in this country who have a qualification level just below higher education, many of whom want a second chance to get a degree. We want to do more, particularly for women and mature students, to make that possible. And over the course of the next few years, we will set out plans to make that happen. Sir Nicholas Winterton. Mr. Speaker, speak for Brittany. I am asking this question as an honorary vice president of the Royal College of Midwives. With the, with the number of midwives and student midwives falling, and with the cut in NHS resources for maternity services last year, and with the birth rate in this country dramatically rising, what urgent steps will the government take to ensure that there is no deterioration uh, in maternity services in this country for pregnant women? And how will the government, in fact, honour uh, its guarantees to its maternity strategy? I, 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 share, I share with the, the honourable member the desire to do more to help midwives and to help maternity services in this country. And I do thank him for his work as the Honorary Vice President of the Royal College of Midwifery. Can I, can I say that uh, the figures show that between 1997 and now, there has been an increase of 2,084 midwives. There has been a 20% increase in the number of students entering training for midwifery. We accept that we need to do more and will do more with a thousand more midwives in the years to come, and I hope that will answer his question. Britain remains one of the safest places in the world for children to be born, and we will ensure that we do everything in our power with the Darcy report and the announcements we make soon to make sure that that remains the case, and we will ensure that midwifery is properly financed. I include... Would my honourable friend care 
there to congratulate the miners of Tower Colliery. Yeah. Yeah. Over the last 13 years, after investing their own redundancy pay in a miners' cooperative, have been highly successful despite the efforts of the party opposite yeah. to shut them down. Mr. Speaker, Mr. Speaker, I was pleased to visit Tower Colliery and give support to the miners who had invested their own savings for all these years, and we were able to support Tower Colliery with operating aid and invest investment aid. I believe that some of the uh, former miners are going to be able to continue their careers in deep mining, but the colliery itself is now exhausted. I want to thank them for their efforts, proving that working people can get together and make a success of a project that other parties said would never work, and I want to thank her for her effort in making sure Tower Colliery was, for these years, a great success. The Department of Work and Pensions holds records on tens of thousands of women in their 60s who would be eligible to boost their basic state pension under a very complicated scheme that most of them have never heard of. Will the Prime Minister ensure that the Department of Work and Pensions simply tells these women what they're entitled to? Yeah. Well, we, we will do what we can to make sure that uh, women in the 60s have proper pension rights. As he knows, this is one of the areas where over many decades we have not done enough to secure rights for women who are elderly. Under the Pensions Bill, more women will get the basic state pension and not have to have a smaller pension as before. But we will try to do our best to make sure that women in the 60s get pension rights as well. Linda Gilroy. When the Prime Minister was in China recently, what talks did he have about cooperation in research and development in the science sector and will he make sure that the marine science sector, the UK marine science sector is as well resourced as possible so that it can make the most of its global reputation in partnerships with China and elsewhere? I, I was able to say uh, in China that uh, in her constituency the Marine Centre has very strong links with China. We will do what we can to sign more agreements with China on cooperation on science. But I have to say to her also, and she understands this, that under this government, the science budget has doubled. Science has never been better financed. That would not have happened under the policies of the opposition. We will continue to support the science and technology of Britain. Richard Junger Rice. Thank you. Whilst he was in China, will the Prime Minister say whether he received assurances that British journalists could visit Tibet, occupied currently by China? my visit to China, I made it clear to the Chinese government that we believe that journalists should not only be free to move within China, but free to interview people during the course of the Olympic Games. I hope that that offer that the Chinese authority has made will be an offer that will be sustained after the Olympic Games, and I hope there will be international pressure backing up our efforts to ensure that journalists have the right of free movement. Guardian Unlimited.